everyone, and welcome to The Convo. I'm your host, Ryan Kahn. Unless you work at The Observer or hear my mother, uh, chances are this is the first episode of our little show that you're listening to because uh, it is the first one that we are actively pushing to listeners. So what is this show? Well, it's tough to define something that has existed for such a short period of time. So instead, let's talk about what we want this show to be. We want this show to help our audience understand what we do and why we do it. We want to explain the decisions we make on a macro and a micro level. We want to share the stuff audiences generally don't get to see, like anecdotes that get cut from stories or anecdotes about reporting the stories themselves. You'll hear me say this a lot, but we want this show to feel like you're in the newsroom with us, debating headlines and grammar and cracking jokes. It's a feeling impossible to describe in words, but one that will hopefully become clear over time. We will take our first step on that journey right now. Today's episode features Observer Executive Editor Kat Hughes, who shines some light on the Observer's annual Spirit of America section and talks specifically about the challenges of producing the section in the never-ending year that is 2020. We also get into journalism ethics and take a patriotic quiz to wrap things up. Hopefully it's as enlightening to listen to as it was fun to record. But before we dive in, uh, I have a few housekeeping notes. Thank you to The Howl and the Hum for the use of our theme song Hall of Fame off the album Human Contact. It's genuinely one of my favorite albums of the year, and I'm thrilled the band is letting us use their song to help us tell our stories. If you like the show, please subscribe to it on your podcast app of choice so you don't miss an episode. And don't be afraid to send in suggestions for future topics or any questions you have. My email is in the episode description, as are links to relevant content from the episode. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the conduct. Hughes, executive editor of The Observer. How, how are things? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing okay. Do you, I mean, I'm comfortable with the whole everything that's that we're doing, working from home, doing all that. Is it weird for you as an editor? It is weird not being able to connect with all of the reporters because as an editor, you're kind of in your office a lot anyways, behind this computer screen, but you guys are the ones who are out there in the community So you have your finger on the pulse of what's going on, what people are saying, what's happening in the community. Um, So we all live vicariously through you. And without your presence in the newsroom, I think we feel a little disconnected. It's a little bit harder to make sure that A, everyone's doing all right and and feeling okay. And B, we're a little more separated from what's going on out there also. So that's, that's what I think we feel as editors more than anything. Yeah, I feel that too, especially, I mean, like I, it's in the description of this podcast, I kind of want this to feel like a newsroom. And I don't know if people always necessarily know what people mean by that when they say it. But it to me, it's like the little things like when someone is trying to get a headline just right, and maybe like someone will make a joke out of it and riff off of it and stuff. So I do miss that aspect of it. And it is harder, you know, like you said, just to find stories, talk to people and all that, just because we're not out as much as, you know, we'd like to be. It's really just the fun. I'm all about having fun. So like, that's the stuff that I miss the most. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, journalists tend to be kind of quirky, funny, intelligent, witty people. So newsrooms are a really interesting atmosphere too. I kind of liken it when I listen to like comedian shows and things like that, like journalists are very funny. So 
we're also missing all of you in the newsroom because the jokes are not as good with with uh, without all the reporters there ripping off one another. Yeah, it's just not the same when you have to like type it into a group chat or something like that. You know, <laughs> it loses its luster for sure. <laughs> it does. I'd also like to ask you. This isn't related to anything we were just talking about, but how's Bailey? Because uh, it is one of the great like quests of my life to become her best friend. And uh, I haven't seen her in such a long time. I feel like she's probably forgotten me, but, but how's she doing? <laughs> she's doing great. Um, Bailey, our black lab mix is sitting, sleeping right next to me. Um, this is her on duty phase. Whenever she's not on duty, she's on the couch sleeping. So she's on the clock right now being my emotional support animal, but um, yeah, I don't know, you know, things have been rocky with you and Bailey, so I'm not sure if she'd remember you or not. I know that at first she was a little scared of you for whatever reason, we don't know why. <laughs> You're like the nicest guy ever, and she just thought there was something off about you. So hopefully I'd like to think she'll remember you and you don't have to start back from ground zero again. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Uh, it's you never know what dogs like. I every I have this one friend's dog who every time I walk in, she just barks her head off, and then about an hour later, she's like on her belly or on her back, wanting wanting me to rub her belly. So it just something about you, never you know. Ryan. Yeah, something about you. They don't trust you at first. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> I make a terrible first impression with them. That is for sure. Um. Well, as much as I wish we could talk about Bailey for the entire podcast, uh, that is not why we are here. We are here because uh, the Observer just put out its annual Spirit of America issue. And it's, you know, kind of a big deal for us because America is a big deal to all of our readers. I just kind of wanted to get your take on it. I mean, for, I guess we should just start with this, you know, for readers who are maybe new to the area or new to us, can you just kind of describe the overall overall idea behind Spirit of America in the first place? Yeah, so um, I think this was in our editorial last week that it started in 2007 in its sort of current iteration. Before that, we just had sort of a patriotic special section that we put out, and it always had a theme of what we're exploring. It's kind of looking at the idea of what it means to be an American and what patriotism looks like to us. So we have a whole special section that's dedicated to that. It tends to be photo heavy. We try to look for images, kind of, of what it means to be an American, what that looks like, what that experience is like for our readers. And of course, that changes every year, depending on what's going through, what our country is going through. Um, so every year we have a new theme to explore, which of course was the case this year with the COVID-19 stuff starting. We were planning it in the beginning of May, so it seemed like that was um, obviously the topic that was on everyone's minds and we wanted to explore, but it's really easy to do it in a trite way that's just about flag waving and patriotism. We tried to take one more step and go a little bit deeper into exploring kind of what it means to be an American, um, and you were on that planning meeting, so you got to hear how the, the sausage was made and were part of that process. But we tried to look for things that were uniting as Americans. And also um, one of our traits, I think, as Americans is we sort of answer the call. When duty calls, we, we take action, we get to work. And this was no exception. When we had a lot going on with the pandemic, there were a lot of people who stepped up and 
took action and did what they could to help out in whatever way they could. So that's kind of how it came about. Yeah, this year's, to me, I mean, I've been part of four of these meetings now at my time at The Observer. And this one was unique in, we all knew kind of what we had to write about because there was one big story kind of dominating everything. But there were a lot of different opinions as far as the way to do that. Like you said, we didn't really want to, you know, want to be trite. We didn't want to be doing stuff that other papers were doing. We wanted to kind of do it the observer way. And we kind of landed on the theme of what matters most to kind of encompass that. So, you know, when I say what matters most, what does that kind of encompass to you? Well, I think that we arrived on certain themes that unify us no matter who we are as Americans. So um, one of those was community. The idea that there's things going on and other people need help and we pull together and we help them out. Uh, I think that's a really big part of being American. I think Americans are really generous. Um, It's part of our independent spirit to give back to others and help those less fortunate. So I think we definitely saw that. Um, I think one of the other themes that came across was faith. You know, this is a really important time for a lot of people in their faith. And when you can't be gathering in the church, What does that look like? How does that communal spirit live on? Uh, Another one is service. Um, Your story on the nurse was amazing as a frontline worker who, yeah, it's their job to take care of other people and that's what they sign up for. But given the elevated status of all of this and how important it is right now and how risky that job had become overnight, uh, that was a really interesting one of what that call to service looks like now. And then diversion, you know, the arts. Uh, We did a story on Sarasota Opera of how they knew the arts were just as important as a lot of other things right now because people needed something to distract them. They needed um, something to soothe them. They needed something to bring them together. Um, So that was another way that we value these things. You can see that this community is built upon a lot of those things. So that's, those are the stories we were looking for and what we were trying to reveal. For the listeners, I do want to just clarify that I did not go down this line of questioning to get compliments, although I certainly appreciate it. Um, you know, another thing we talked about in that meeting was uh, finding the right sources, not just finding a source. And I think that is something that a lot of people maybe don't think about as readers, um, just kind of finding someone who embodies the the theme of kind of what we're going for and not just kind of the first person we see. So can you, you know, for readers who may not understand kind of that inside working of journalism, why is that so important for you and for us? Yeah, so as we talked about, it started with a meeting about an idea. Now the next step is the hardest, and that is finding those people who embody these characteristics, these uniting factors that we're looking for, because um, the story has to hold up to the value that we're seeking. So the next step is reporters going out and looking for those people who they think embody these different characteristics or that factor and can really show what it looks like in practice. And I think we got great suggestions. Um, I think with everything going on, our reporters found a lot of overlap between news that was happening and the people who were doing it. Uh, So that is a vital part. You have to get the right people in the section. You have to have a mix of people in the section. We didn't want it all to be frontline workers at a hospital. That would have been an easier way to go, you know, to look at all frontline workers or first responders. We wanted something a little bit more nuanced. 
And that's a harder thing to find when you're looking for sources because you're not quite sure what you're going to get. It takes a little more digging on the reporter's part to make sure that these people fit the bill and that there's a variety of experiences that were displaying through their stories. You know, in your kind of the forward to uh, the issue that just went out, you mentioned, I'm paraphrasing here, and you said it much better than I'm going to, but essentially, you know, what we kind of found out was what matters to one person matters to a lot of people. And it was, I think one of our goals, at least for the stories that I wrote, was to kind of have readers see themselves in what they were reading um, and kind of relate to those situations. So I'm curious, you know, when you were editing these stories, did you see yourself in any of them or did you relate to any of them personally? I think I felt proud of all the stories as I was editing them. So I'm not sure if I personally saw myself in them, but I had the same feeling that I felt when all of this started happening and we started hearing about people springing up and being innovative and finding ways to get the things they needed and then sharing that with others. Uh, whether it was where to buy toilet paper or how to wear a mask, whatever it was. And I felt really proud that nobody has to tell these people what to do or how to do it in a lot of cases. They voluntarily go out of their way to make sure that their community gets what it needs and, and their family. And so I think that was the feeling that I had. It was really touching. I, again, your story was really great about um, the nurse and what care she took also to make sure that she was safe for her family and why she wanted to keep um, being sure that she went to work and she was healthy so she could care for others and the struggle that that often gave her on a daily basis. But then also a teacher who dresses up in a hot dog costume because she knows that's going to lift her students' spirits at a time when they can't see each other and they're probably feeling pretty disconnected from everything. And for younger kids, you can only imagine how upsetting that must be to have your whole routine changed overnight. So I just felt incredibly proud when we went through these stories and I read all the different ways that people were really helping each other. That's really what this section was about. You know, we are recording this on the Monday after it was released, so it's pretty fresh. And I was going to ask you, you know, what the reader feedback has been, if there has been any, but then I realized, I don't even know if you care about that as far as whether that's us doing a good job or not. So how much does that, you know, when you're considering, especially a section like this, what is the success to you? Is it, you know, just kind of an intrinsic thing? Like you can just kind of tell by reading the stories beforehand that we've done a good job or is it the reader feedback, you know, how, how our work is being received that, that matters more to you? Yeah, that's one of those things that being in the newspaper industry, you don't hear a lot from readers and, unless you really screwed something up. So unfortunately, <laughs> praise is hard to come by. And if you screwed something up, you want to know about it. So that's good to have also. But I think judging your success based on feedback is a really challenging thing to do. So um, I feel like whenever we reach out for a more abstract target, which this one kind of was, you want to make sure that you're hitting that with all the different feelings that we're evoking. You should, you should read the section and feel something. And I know I felt that when I was editing everything, and I hope that that translated to readers. One of the things that I saw was a lot of response on Facebook when um, one of our colleagues posted it there. And so that made me feel good. That definitely is where you get good and bad feedback. And I think the comments there were positive and it was welcomed. And 
also, when we started planning this, this was before a lot of the other turmoil that started happening in our country, right? So we were already off looking for stories and Black Lives Matter happens and protests happens. And so all of a sudden we had another thing that was sort of divisive and going on in our country. And I felt even more like this could be sort of a soothing bomb on what's going on. Because at a time when a lot of people are focusing on why we're so different, and rightly so, this was a thing that was saying why we share so many things in common in this great country. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I think the section came out really great. Um, Shout out to our designers, by the way, who always do a great job, but never get really the credit, except maybe internally. So um, if you're ever reading one of our papers and it looks really good to you, just thank them. You don't have to send them a note, but just like, you know, thank them inside. Just say, it looks beautiful. And Carol Parker designed this and she did do a great job. I totally agree. You know, another thing I wanted to ask you about, I introduced you at the beginning of this podcast as the executive editor. And I, ever since then, I'm kind of realizing that I don't know if people really know what that means because in journalism, we have executive editors and we have editors and we have copy editors and um, people might not know the difference. So can you kind of explain what your job is as the executive editor? Yeah, I think the easiest way to put it is I oversee all of the editorial content and staff. So yes, I go over every single page with a red pen before it goes to the printer. Uh, I also look at the big ideas of what our editorial content is going to be, uh, managing special sections like Spirit of America, hiring all these talented journalists, that usually falls under my purview, and just being the liaison and the coordinator between all the different departments in uh, the newspaper business, because you have advertising sales, you have creative services, who creates all the ads. Um, So you have to keep everything rolling between all these departments so everything comes out miraculously every week and hits the newsstands. Uh, But there's a lot going on behind the scenes that people don't realize, so. Yeah, that's another thing I was thinking about. Like I actually, my dad was here recently visiting for Father's Day and um, he was kind of like grilling me about what I do and everything. And he had no idea just how many checks and revisions each story goes through before it's actually put to print. And that made me think, oh, maybe like our audience doesn't really realize how much work we're actually, you know, putting into these stories, not only to report them, but to write them and edit them and make sure that that they're the best that they can be. Why is it, you know, as the executive editor, why is it so important for you that we check these things so many times and get it right? Yeah, I think there's a lot of levels of getting it right. So just factually, you have to make sure you get it right because you're putting something in print that, and now on the internet, that lasts forever. And you, I'm certain anyone who's gone back and tried to verify a fact or tried to figure out one piece of information from a Google search and it's maddening because you can't find it or you find different things, you realize really quickly why it's so important that what we're writing is accurate and also um, fair and also has the context that it has meaning. So facts without that context of what it means for you don't mean a whole lot. And I think that's one of the things that we do really great at The Observer because um, we're not putting on a paper every day. So we have a little more time to reflect on what meaning this has for the community, how it will impact readers' lives. 
and what they should do with this information. So uh, I think that that is definitely one of our highest tasks and it takes a lot of planning and revision and checking. It starts with budget meetings where the reporters are meeting with the editors, then the editors um, and I meet with the designers every week at an editor's meeting where we go through all your stories again, sort of fine tune, talk about art, talk about design, and then we go into production. You guys start turning things in, editors start editing, writing headlines, getting all that fun stuff in there, and then final pages come to my desk, I get to read the whole thing, and off it goes to the printer, and then we do it all over again the next week, so... <laughs> Not only do you handle all that, but you also handle a lot of our um, ethics questions or, you know, stuff that comes in either through email or Facebook that readers have questions about. Um, specifically, there was kind of an interesting thing recently that happened with a photo gallery and captions and the ethics of keeping names in there. Can you kind of give our listeners, a, a you know, the gist of, of what happened there? Yeah. I get all the fun questions. Um, but one thing that a lot of people don't realize is journalists have this whole set of rules that we abide by. And it's not like we have a bar association like attorneys do or anything like that that's enforcing them, but we have a code that we are trained on and that we operate by to make sure that what we're reporting is accurate, fair, and that we're keeping a record, a record of what's going on. So one of those rules that people don't get is um, sometimes if you're like at a cocktail party or something and people will go, oh no, don't, don't write this in the paper. Well, I wouldn't because I'm not on duty. You're not on the record. This is not a conversation that's gonna go anywhere. I couldn't, like I couldn't take that from an off the record conversation and put it in there. That's against our code. Likewise, when you are giving your name to a reporter who's sitting there with a pad or a reporter, and asking you your name, asking how to spell it, you are on the record. So whatever you say and your image and all of that, we are recording as part of our duty to the public. And so if you decide at a later point that you want to have it off the record, that doesn't really work. That does not fit in with the code. So if you don't want to be quoted, if you don't want your picture taken, I would say do not give them your name because then often we aren't using images and quotes unattributed either. That's another part of the code. So when this individual who was at a protest said, I don't want my name to be run with my photo, I said, we treat it just like we treat print. Once it's in the printed page, you can't take it out. And things live forever on the internet. So that's an interesting ethical dilemma that I'm sure there will be more conversations about in the future. But um, people should know that when you give your name to a reporter, you're putting it on the record that you were there, that your image is being coupled with that name, and it won't be removed afterwards. So it's definitely something that people should consider and they should know going into it. Yeah, I think it's especially interesting. Um, well, it's always interesting, but especially in the times we're living in now, like this, you know, 2020 is going to be studied in history books someday. And I mean, that's part of why we do what we do is to, you know, record history uh, in some sense. And like you said earlier, stuff on the internet doesn't really go away. It's, uh, it's written in ink, not pencil, so to speak. So it's, uh, it's something to think about if, you know, Sarasota is a small town. So chances are one of us is probably going to talk to you at some point about something if you're listening to this. Um, so this is just uh, stuff for you to know if you ever talk to one of us. Um, 
And it's also just kind of interesting. I like having a code. I think that's just kind of like a cool thing to have and like to live by. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but. (laughs) You like rules. Yeah. No, I, I think it's important too to think about if you're always changing your coverage after the fact because you're amending what people said or whether they were there or what they wanted to be in the paper for, then all of a sudden the credibility that you have as a news organization is completely gone. You can't trust anything that we've printed if we're willing to go back and amend the record constantly online. So that's another reason why it's really important. It may seem like a silly thing, but it's for the integrity of what we're reporting. It has to be credible and it has to stand up as a record of that time, that day, that quote, whatever. So um, we're very touchy about going back and changing anything, unless it's incorrect. And then we always want to issue a correction. We want to make sure that it's accurate. And then I welcome anyone to come forward and, and tell us that we got it wrong and um, that it needs to be corrected. Absolutely. A hundred percent agree. We, um, if we don't have integrity, we have nothing really. Um, but while we have a lot of integrity, we also have a lot of fun at the observer. And with that, we are going to do a little quiz. So in spirit of America, which we talked about earlier, is this something we do every year? I think we have some sort of variation, some sort of fun activity for people, right? It has become a new tradition, and Jay Heater, our uh, East County Managing Editor, kind of took it on a few years ago, and it's taken a delightful twist with his personality and sense of humor. So I think it is now a, a thing that we look forward to every year. So we are going to take this quiz. Well, Kat, you're going to take this quiz. Oh, I'm going to be no. the I'm going to be the moderator. Listeners are welcome to play along at home. Uh, this is. 15 questions, so we'll make them a little bit quick. We don't want it to drag on too bad. Do you have a but, buzzer yeah. for everyone that I get wrong? Like, brrr, I, wrong. Uh, you Ding. know what? <laughs> I actually do. Hold on one second, actually. No. Can you hear that? Does that come through? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm going to use this as a, as a little buzzer, and uh, we're just going to take the quiz. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. And for, for the record, Kat edited this quiz once upon a time, but she swears she does not know or remember any of the answers. Is that right? Right. And I did not get very many right when I took it the first time. So. Okay, here we go. Don't, uh, don't question, expect a lot. <laughs> question one. Uh, who was the principal author of the Declaration of Independence? Was it Benjamin Franklin, John Hancock, Thomas Jefferson, or Sam Adams? Thomas Jefferson. Okay, that's correct. I don't have a fun buzzer for the yes, but (laughs) you are one for one. Question two, Uh, Joey Jaws Chestnut set a record in 2018 by eating 74 hot dogs and buns in 10 minutes in the Nathan's Famous Annual Hot Dog Eating Contest July 4th in New York. How many did he eat in 2019 to win that year's contest? Was it A, 83, B, 71, C, 65 or D 101? I believe 71. That is correct. You are two for two. I actually actually uh, watched that and even though it makes me nauseous. So I did have some basis of knowledge on that one, embarrassingly so. Not only do I also watch it, I actually went and saw it live one year and it was simultaneously the most exhilarating and disgusting thing I've ever seen. Um, very gross. <laughs> it it really changes things for you when you can see just like the stuff dribbling off his face, uh, just in person. But uh, 
Question three. After the Declaration of Independence was made public in 1776, military personnel and civilians in the Bowling Green section of Manhattan melted a statue of King George III to make what? Was it A, beer steins, B, nickels, C, horseshoes, or D, bullets? Uh, This is what I would have done, so I'm going to choose A, beer steins. N, O. Unfortunately, that is incorrect. Uh, the correct answer is bullets, which I guess kind of makes sense. I wish it was beer steins, though. That I would have been celebrating fun. after. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, question four. What newspaper first printed the Declaration of Independence? Was that the Pennsylvania Evening Post, the East County Observer, the Philadelphia Inquirer, or the Washington Post? Oh, the pressure's really on with this one. I'm going to go with A, Pennsylvania Evening Post. That is correct. Shockingly, it was not the East County Observer. I know, we didn't. (laughs) Founded in 1998, we weren't quite there yet. (laughs) No, if it had happened in 2020, it would have been us for sure. For sure. Question five. Who is the only U.S. president born on July 4th? Was it A, Gerald Ford? B, Theodore Roosevelt, C, Calvin Coolidge, or D, Harry Truman? When I took a history class in high school, I would answer this president to any question I didn't know the answer to, so I have to go with Calvin Coolidge. That is correct. Your strategy works again. I just liked his name. (laughs) Alliterations. It's always good. It's good. It's good. Got to go with it. Question six. Oh, you're four for five, by the way. You're doing great. Oh, my gosh. Question six. On the first American flag, what shape were the 13 stars arranged in? Was it a circle, B, a square, C, a triangle, or D, an X? A circle. That is correct. You're on a roll. I don't know. Yeah, this is where things start to go off the rails, if I recall. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, we'll see. We'll see if yeah. uh, your prediction is correct. Question. Well, I'm a cheater and I remembered more than I gave on. <laughs> you wouldn't do that, Kat. You have too much integrity. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Question seven. Uh, what U.S. president congratulated New York Yankee Dave Rigetti after he pitched a July 4th no-hitter against the Boston Red Sox? Was it A, Richard Nixon, B, Gerald Ford, C, Jimmy Carter, or D, Ronald Reagan? I'm going to go with Gerald Ford. I have no idea. No! Unfortunately, uh, the answer is Richard Nixon, not Gerald Ford. Question. This is where the slide begins. I told you. Uh, Well, we'll see. That was a, I don't, I wouldn't have gotten that one either. So that was, that was tough. Uh, (laughs) Question eight. How many people signed the Declaration of Independence? Was that A, 28, B, 43, C, 56, or D, 74? I'm going to go with 56. That is correct. Oh, my gosh. can't believe it. I'm on a roll. Here we go. Streak of one. (laughs) I I think you're over the hump, although this next question seems just absurdly difficult. But uh, question nine. Uh, John and Abigail Adams ate this kind of soup to celebrate July 4th. Did they eat clam chowder? Turtle soup, duck soup, or chicken soup? I'm going to go with clam chowder. No, 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 no. 
That seems yeah, like the, such a northeastern thing to eat. <laughs> I know. Um, right? The answer. The answer is turtle soup. Wow, how far things have changed. <laughs> Question ten: uh, Where was the U.S. capital before Washington D.C.? Was it A. Philadelphia, B. Virginia Beach, Virginia, C. Boston, or D. Hartford, Connecticut? Philadelphia. Yes, that is correct. Um, I would have been disappointed in you if you had gotten that one wrong. So You could tell by the voice of confidence. I actually knew that one. Question 11. I think this is where they start to get really difficult. Uh, what building was built uh, 1,776 feet tall to honor our independence? Was it A, the One World Trade Center, B, the Empire State Building, C, the Willis Tower, or D, the John Hancock Center? I'm going to go with John Hancock Center just because it's John Hancock. No! Unfortunately, the answer is A, the One World Trade Center. See, learn something new every day. Question 12. What president held the first July 4th celebration at the White House? Was that A, George Washington, B, Sam Adams, uh, C, Thomas Jefferson, or D, James Madison? I'm going to go with James Madison. That is... No! Incorrect. (laughs) Uh, The answer is Thomas Jefferson. Oh, (laughs) Question 13. How many stripes on the U.S. flag are red? Is the answer A, 5, B, 6, C, 7, or D, 8? 8? Do you think you're correct? You didn't say that very uh, confidently. (laughs) 8. 8. No. 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 Unfortunately, the answer is 7. You were close, though. Oh. I never remember which one starts with. (laughs) Uh, Question 14. What was the first state to make July 4th a holiday? Was it A, Delaware, B, Massachusetts, C, Pennsylvania, or D, New York? Ooh, that's another toughie. I am going to go with Pennsylvania since that's where it was all happening. For the last time, no. Uh, the answer is not what you said. It is uh, Massachusetts, unfortunately. Oh, my gosh. Last one. There, Thank goodness. Last one. <laughs> Listen, there have been some stumbles lately, but that's okay. <laughs> you know what I meant? <laughs> you, you, you have a chance to end strong, though. Okay. okay. Question 15. <laughs> George Washington led American and French soldiers in defeating General Charles Cornwallis in this final battle of the Revolutionary War. Was that the Battle of Lexington, the Battle of Bunker Hill, the Battle of Fort Ticonderoga, or D, the Battle of Yorktown? I'm going to go with the Battle of Yorktown. That is correct. I knew, I knew you were going to end strong. Um, and honestly, the only reason I knew that one is because I watched Hamilton this weekend. So yes, I was going to say I'm bringing like my Hamilton knowledge into this. And by the way, I'm married to a history uh, teacher, so it would be really embarrassing if I didn't have the few of the bases covered. Uh, how do you think uh, Adam, your husband, would would feel about your performance on this quiz overall? He's probably still embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> Eight out of 15, that's above 50%. 
if you think about it. Hey, D's get degrees. What do they say? <laughs> <laughs> Don't listen um, to that, kids. You should get A's. <laughs> should, should know your history a little better than I do. <laughs> uh, well, at least you got the last question right. Uh, and that will send us out on a positive note. Um, Kat Hughes, before we sign off, is there anything you want people to read, check out, follow you on social media, anything like that? Well, obviously, check out yourobserver.com for stories. If you want to see that awesome Spirit of America section for yourself, you can click on the e-newspaper tab in the upper right-hand corner and find it there, along with any of our paper editions there. Um, And yeah, we're always printing news every day online, so check us out. We also have an e-newsletter that you can sign up for on the homepage there, and you get your very own observer news digest emailed to you at around 4 30 every day so sign up and check it out and you can follow me at ryan a con on twitter um you can also follow this podcast this is the first episode that we're really going to be pushing to folks although we do have a few in our back catalog um you can listen to the convo pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts at this point so just go onto your app of choice and uh, click the subscribe button. We'd really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, give us a download. We're going to be doing this uh, once a month to start out. If people like it, then maybe we'll do two a month. Who knows? Um, It all kind of depends on you all. So um, with that, again, thank you so much, Kat Hughes, for joining us today. Thanks for having me.